Get Heard with Ian Roth podcast, where it is our mission to enable leaders to effectively engage and motivate their audience through written and verbal communication. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for checking out today's episode with Dave Clare. This is actually part one of my interview with Dave. And we talk about some pretty awesome stuff that the show really hasn't gone into before. So some of the things that Dave discusses and I think are really important and that we can take and enact into our leadership and you know public speaking. Dave talks about the difference between a mentor and a coach, something that I never really thought of at the level that he articulated it to me, which he makes some very good points about that. And then Dave goes over four very simple but effective steps for public speaking. So hope you really enjoy today's episode with Dave. And again, this is part one. We're going to have a part two in a couple more weeks to kind of finish up and tie up the other things that Dave and I didn't get to, but hope you enjoyed today's episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. I have my guest, Dave Clare here all the way from Australia. How are you doing, Dave? Yeah, great, Ian. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for hopping on the show. I know it's pretty early there in Australia, and it's you know evening time here in Central Time Zone U.S., so thank you so much for hopping on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. You know, it's not the earliest in the morning I've ever done a podcast uh, as a result of living in Western Australia. Uh, I was actually on one at 2 a.m. in the morning here, so uh, to fit in with the Dallas time zone. So I haven't done that to any of my guests yet. So, wow. That, that, that's, <laughs> so I that's appreciate this 9 a.m. Yeah. 9 a.m. is generous. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Maybe sitting down having some coffee or something, are you? Uh, as a matter of fact, a cup of Tim Hortons. <laughs> Tim Hortons, best. The best Great uh, Canadian, Canadian company. Yep. Got to get it imported to Australia, though. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, so we had, when I grew up in Pennsylvania, our next door neighbors were Canadian, and they would always talk about Tim Hortons. And that part of Pennsylvania, I'd never heard of Tim Hortons. There were no Tim Hortons anywhere close. And then I met my wife in Ohio, and there's Tim Hortons all over the place in Ohio, but for some reason, the next state over states never heard of them. So yeah, I absolutely love Tim Hortons. Awesome, awesome coffee. Yeah, it's a, you can take the boy out of Canada, but you can't take Canada out of the boy, it seems. So we had to, uh, <laughs> you know, we, we, get, we get care packages or parcels sent down under for us. That, that's awesome. Yeah, you can't go wrong with coffee, especially Tim Hortons coffee. I actually prefer that to Dunkin' Donuts nowadays, but don't tell any yeah. of my American <laughs> friends I said that. We'll keep that between us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no one else will know about that. Besides yeah, you and no I one have. else will know about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, uh, so if you, if you don't mind telling the audience a little bit about who you are, what you're doing and, you know, stuff that's on the horizon for you. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll hopefully give a very quick summary. Um, obviously I'm Canadian born. Uh, my family moved to Australia when I was about 15 years old. Um, and, uh, so I grew up in my teen years here in Australia, um, and then uh, had a career in banking and finance. Um, and I was very fortunate in my career in banking and finance to have a mentor early on in my life who could see something in me that I didn't see in myself and happy to talk about mentoring at any stage. But um, John McGinnis was phenomenal in that as, a, as my state manager and he um, well, was regional manager. And uh, John was really keen to invest in me in leadership. Uh, I always had some natural flair for leading people, uh, which I blessed to great parenting. Uh, but then uh, John invested in me heavily in uh, courses outside of the bank in terms of my own personal development. And uh, and I excelled in that and then became a train, the trainer of that. And I guess I share that only because that that started my 
journey into leadership and where I've been focused most of my last 28 odd years of my life in that space. And then as I developed through the bank, I could no longer um, climb the corporate ladder without a piece of paper. So I took an opportunity to move to Papua New Guinea and become a leadership development consultant working in banking and finance. The industry was the same, but it wasn't anything else related. Being able to go over work with the national and expatriate people in uh, Papua New Guinea for 14 months in taking them out of the what was then 70s into the early 90s or modern style of leadership and management, which ultimately in in today's world is just really management more than leadership. Um, But that was a wonderful life-changing experience uh, for me there. And then when I left New Guinea, headed back to Canada for 10 years and I landed back in Canada, I decided instead of finding another job or anything like that, that I would uh, take the opportunity to launch my own business and uh, purchased a license with Leadership Management International, one of the largest personal and organizational development companies in the world. And uh, in Canada, I I took the opportunity to build a business there, which was very successful. Um, We had, uh, you know, Canadian Clients of the Year. um, Out of all the Canadian licensees, our clients were achieving phenomenal success, which is my most proudest achievement um, in a business sense. For three years in a row, we had two World Clients of the Year, but I, I, I started to see signs within the industry that were um, challenging my values in terms of how I thought we should you know, lead and, and uh, our organizations. It seemed to be even in the personal and organizational development industry that was more interested in how many boxes we were selling rather than the results and uh, the transformation we were having with our clients. Um, so I left that and then went out on my own and started to develop my own products and, and tools and, and stuff that I would work with my clients with. Um, right up until uh, and I had my own office building and everything was going great. And then the global financial crisis came along and, I, and also a divorce. Uh, my wife chose to leave us and the kids. And uh, then everything sort of imploded at once. And uh, within a matter of a year or two, we decided to move back to Australia and come back over here. And then here we are back in Australia. And then I took the opportunity to roll my sleeves up and get back in the trenches and lead an organization, which we turned around uh, in the not-for-profit sector, which was great. And then went, uh, published my book and uh, Simplified, which is all about uh, leading people. And then uh, went back into the coaching business that I now have today and uh, am expanding all across Australia and helping people evolve their businesses to stay relevant in the hearts and minds of the people that they choose to serve. And uh, throughout all that time, I've uh, obviously been a, obviously I I consider myself a practitioner, coach. Um, I'm also a keynote speaker uh, and now published author. And uh, that is the long story, very short. Wow, that was, you got a lot in there. That's awesome, Dave. Uh, <laughs> something, that, something that you hit on that, uh, that stuck with me was that you were fortunate early on in your career, in your life to have a good mentor. Yes. And I think, it's, I think it's very important. I know it's been in my development to have several mentors along the way. Is there anything that you can, that you want to share about some things that mentor did for you that really groomed you and set you up for success later on in your career? Yeah, uh, firstly, I I challenge everybody out there to have a mentor. Um, There's having a mentor and there's having the right mentor. Um, And for me, uh, a mentor has two things which you need to understand. Um, One is that they can see something in you that you don't see in yourself. But they've also been where you'd like to go. There's a difference between a mentor and a coach. Like I have coaches in my business, in certain aspects of my business, but I have two key mentors, we'll say three key mentors, for myself, uh, and they're people who have been where I'd like to go. Um, and they're, you know, very staunch, um, successful business people, but also great human beings at the same time. 
Um, and, you know, and, and the power of having that mentor is it, uh, you know, you can see some of the pitfalls and traps and that ahead of time that they've experienced and been through. So it's, it's almost like having this really cool guide, um, you know, you still make your own life decisions and choices, um, but they also challenge your thinking at a much higher level um, or bigger picture level than what perhaps like what some of my coaches do. So, uh, you know, I, I would encourage everybody to find mentors and coaches in their life and business. Would you say that a coach is someone alongside of you helping you get to where you want to go as opposed to a mentor being someone who has been there, done that, got the T-shirt and already experienced what you're trying to attain? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like my coaches, they push me, pull me, they walk beside me, they never carry me. Um, but yeah, to your point, Ian, absolutely. They, you know, that's what they do. The mentor is the person who's been there and done that um, and has the T-shirt indeed. Uh, you know, and uh, to me, that's the subtle difference, but a very powerful difference uh, in terms of that mentor I go for as a sounding board, um, whereas my coach is one who really challenges me in terms of my actions, my accountabilities, um, uh, you know, in more of a operational function, even like my PT challenges the living daylights out of me. Um, so having a, <laughs> a coach for my health and, and my life is really important as well as my business. But there, yeah, that's the subtle difference to me is that person who's been there already. No, that's true. I never thought of it that way until you kind of went through your story and, and explained that and just kind of came to my head. So that's, that's usually a good sign that, you know, that's a simple definition. If you can quite easily paint a very quick picture in your head, then, you know, to me, that's the value of, uh, you know, a very simple. And once again, I work on simplicity. It's one of my number one core values. So the ability to articulate a concept simply is powerful. Yeah. So a phenomenal story. Uh, that, that's awesome. I think for the listeners out there, there's a lot of, you'll see coaches everywhere. If you go anywhere online, you'll see somebody coaching for something. So just to kind of see the difference between a coach and a mentor. And I think that's exactly what we said it was. So, so great. Uh, I appreciate you sharing, sharing that story. It's a great story. If you're looking for a coach in life or business, whatever, the first question I always challenge people to ask the coach that they're looking to engage with is ask that coach if they have a coach. Why would I ask that question? I would think, you know, a, a coach who is supposed to be all about helping you and developing you, if that person is really practicing what they preach, they in turn should also be having someone to push them and challenge them to go to, to their personal next level. 100%. If they think that you should believe in the value of coaching, but they don't have a coach, do they believe in the value of coaching? Yeah, totally right. I mean, that would be kind of hypocritical if they're trying to sell you their coaching services, but yet at the same time, they don't have someone and are not developing themselves to go that next mile with someone else. So that, that's a great point too. And I, again, I never thought of a coach should have a coach, but yep. you just perfectly laid it out. Yeah, absolutely. A coach <laughs> should have a coach and live that, live those ideals of self-betterment by practicing what they preach. Yeah. Um, and, and, in, in the old days, um, and I bring this up in, in some of my presentations that I do that, you know, we accepted the mechanic having the worst car or the cobbler's children having the worst shoes. But I think in today's more modern world, there's no excuse for that anymore. And that you should be a product of your own product and you should practice what you preach. Um, or you're one of those who can't do but teaches, you know. So it, I think that there's no excuse for it anymore in this world. You're right. Especially with technology nowadays, the excuses have gone out the window. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I've struggled for a rationale as to why you wouldn't be the product of your product. Like everything I do with my clients, I do for my own business. Like my my business is a role model example of what I would challenge my clients to build and the way I go about it. 
you know, even when I'm speaking to my clients and, you know, obviously talk a bit about speaking coming up, but uh, as I always share with them, when I'm articulating to them about their purpose and their values and their vision and their mission and stuff in the leadership sessions I'm running with, with my clients, please, please note how I'm speaking to you with the engagement, enthusiasm, and the passion that I have for your business. This is how I would love for you to be able to be able to articulate to your team uh, that those same things. So looking at me as a, through, you know, their leadership through me as a lens, if you like. So my business needs to be the same thing as much as I do as the leader. Yeah, spot on. And I'm so glad you mentioned speaking because you literally just read my mind and that was the next thing I was going to go into. So just in our little, before the show chat, you, uh, you were mentioning that you're hoping to do some more speaking this upcoming year. Can you tell the listeners about what you're looking to do and, you know, just kind of walk us through maybe what you do when you're crafting, preparing your speech and any tips you have for delivery of the speech when you're up there? I'll start with, you know, so last year I probably did about 12 to 14 speaking engagements uh, across Australia, uh, which was really awesome. Uh, you know, I, I, I enjoy speaking. I, I love it. Uh, you know, sometimes in, in all honesty, it's, it's paid marketing. Um, and so for me to go and speak about the things I'm most passionate about, uh, and share with large audience, uh, obviously, as a wonderful opportunity for me to engage with other potential people who could become clients. Um, but it, and part of my bigger picture in terms of my my massive goal I have, which is to create and inspire 90 million purpose-driven leaders around the world, the speaking is the inspiring part. It's, it's really great to get on stage in front of 500,000 people and inspire all these leaders to, you know, seek to ways to create an evolution at their workplace and uh, become more as a leader and evolve and evolve their teams and deliver amazing stuff to their clients. Uh, but that's just the inspiring part. And the, the, the creating part is on the ground, boots on the ground, doing the, the transformation work with those clients. But the speaking is is a really key part of that. So opportunities to share that message to to do so, that's what I look for. Because my, and I mentioned to you this before we started recording, Ian, is that I have a four-step process for public speaking. So how do I prepare um, for my presentations, well, every presentation goes through the same fundamental four things. And um, the first thing is know your stuff. I don't speak about anything I don't know about. So number two is then love your stuff, um, which is I don't speak about anything that I don't love. And then the third thing is organize your stuff. So I know what I'm talking about. I love it. And then I organize it in a simple to follow um, journey, if you like, the step process to take the, the audience on a journey. Um, and the last thing is to share your stuff. So share the living daylights out of it. Speak wherever you get the opportunity to do so. If it's in front of one person, 1,000 people, 10 people, I don't care. Just get out in front of them and speak because the only way to hone your craft, hone your message, and be able to deliver the maximum value to those attendees or that desired audience is to get out there and practice it. You can practice it in front of a mirror as much as you like, but until you actually stand up in front of a group of people, you'll never practice it at the level that you're you know, in terms of helping you evolve to the level that you're capable of, uh, because you don't get to see that audience engagement and energy and things like that within the room and, and how to do that. And how do you, how do you, you know, sell your story or tell your story from the stage? And it's got to be for me visual. I'm not one of these um, behind a podium type speakers. I'm a wireless mic walking the stage. I walk out into the audience, um, that type of speaker. So for me, I've had some wonderful events last year um, and the year before, of course. Uh, this year, I'm looking um, at a, more of the events here in Australia will be ones that I'm actually running my, myself and bringing speakers in to speak with me. Um, but also, I have a, a friend in 
the U.S., uh, who's just launching a massive mastermind and, and expanding that. And he's talked about me about coming over to the U.S. for that. Uh, but also now as the ambassador for the Global Company Culture Association, which is currently head office in Dallas, uh, we'll be running some epic events, uh, one here in Australia and one possibly in the United States or one in Europe. So we'll be speaking at those events uh, around the world as well. So looking forward to get back to the United States and uh, catch up with some friends and see if we can add some value to some people to help create an evolution of work uh, over there as well. That's awesome. Sounds like a lot of exciting stuff coming up here. And I, I want to ask you, were you always were you always comfortable in front of people? Or I should say, are you do you still get nervous when speaking in front of people? Even being pretty practiced and, you know, good at it now? Yeah, it, it's a, it's interesting. Like I, if you ask my parents, I was always the class clown. Um, maybe it's the middle child syndrome. I'm not sure. Always seeking attention, but maybe those things paid off for me. Um, I consider myself an ambivert to start with. Um, when I'm on stage or in front of a group of people, I'm on. But boy, when I'm done and I get off and I get back to home or get back to my office, I enjoy the isolation and the solitude of quietness as well. So for me, it's it's a balance of both. Um, yeah, you know, you know, uh, so for, yeah, I, I like to be out there. I, you know, I just only because I'm passionate. Like, uh, do I get nervous? I tell you, every time I get on stage, I get nervous. And people are like, oh, but you look so calm. I said, you know, but nerves is just energy, right? So if I'm really, if I know my stuff and I love my stuff, and I'm, you know, that 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 passion, that energy that's in there, those nerves are energy. Now I can either choose that to tear me down, or I can use that to fire me up. And, you know, when I've got that nerve and I'm standing behind the curtain or just on the edge of the stage about to walk out, uh, you know, I look around the room and I think I'm here to give as much as I can to these people. And so I harness that energy into a positive thing. And just, you know, you go out on stage and you lay out your first line or whatever with power and enthusiasm and you channel that nerves uh, into value rather than into something that is devalues the audience or the members that are there and what they've paid to attend. Yeah. So what are some, what are some things that you've learned over the years to make you more comfortable in front of people? Obviously preparation makes people the most comfortable. I mean, knowing that, you know, the material is going to put you more at ease being in front of people than, you know, just trying to wing it. But anything else that you found over the years, different techniques that, that help you stay calm and maybe you take pauses or, or what works for you? Yeah, as, as far as some little simple tips or techniques and stuff like that, that I've certainly learned over the years, um, some really simple fundamental ones, which you sit there and go, oh, wow, yeah, really, uh, is remember when you're on stage and you're facing the audience, if you're ever going, you know, traditionally, we always think left to right. So if I'm if I'm talking about going from something small to something big and I go from my left to my right to the audience, that's right to left. So you need to almost flip your mind over and say, so if I'm talking about I'm taking from here to over there, I need to go from right to left because that looks better for the audience. So if I'm always thinking about the audience and their perspective, I want to make sure I'm doing that. Um, and then, you know, your ability for gestures, like I'm not a trained, in all honesty, like I've, I've never done any public speaking training. I've certainly studied people whose style I enjoy and appreciate and admire um, and other ones that I don't. Um, the actually only training I ever took intentionally to improve my speaking ability was I attended a comedy workshop. So I could learn timing and construction of jokes and things like that. Not that I put jokes into my, uh, but I just wanted to understand the, the science behind how these stand-up comedians 
structure their presentations and the power of pauses and how important having a pause is and when to place in a pause. So, you know, learning how you visually represent on the stage, learning how you structure your uh, words that you're sharing, uh, you know, so you're painting a picture verbally and non-verbally and do the, making sure that those things match also. You know, so there's just a couple of fundamental things like that. But for me, I can, and, and the last thing, you know, because I do use a bit of, let's say, PowerPoint or whatever as part of my presentation, but it's not death by PowerPoint. I see so many speakers who will put up slides and then they read their slides. You know, if you're going to use PowerPoint, one of the things which I do use, it's more just a visual, you know, um, it's part of the visual show, if you like, uh, in terms of helping that audience or the members go on a journey and pictures speak a thousand words. So sometimes my slides might be just a picture with one word written on it. Um, but I don't need to, and I don't need to rehearse because I know what that slide's all about. So I just speak to that part as I move on to the next and to the next and to the next. Because once again, I've, I've organized my stuff. I see people all the time, like you said, reading directly verbatim off of slides. And that just puts the audience to sleep right away. And as the listener, as the receiver, of that presentation, it makes me think that the speaker doesn't know the material because I would think obviously if they knew the material, they wouldn't need to read it verbatim off of a piece of paper or a slide. So if, like you said, you just have one word up on the screen with some pictures and you're able to just look at it, it cues different things in your brain and you're able to just start rattling off what you want to say about it. That is a lot more effective than just reading to the audience because the audience more than likely or not can read. And if you put a whole bunch of words up there, they can just read it for themselves. Yeah, if you're going to put up there, just say, okay, everyone put your hands up when you finish reading this. <laughs> then we'll go to the next slide. Yeah, really. <laughs> you know, uh, and you know, and, uh, and there's some people, and it's, once again, for leaders that, who are not, let's say, professional speakers, um, just be mindful of that. Like, you, you have confidence in yourself that you know your stuff. And you can put stats and numbers up. But, like, for me, I have one slide that's got three statistics on it, but it's just like, um, you know, 142, 90, 70. And a picture of a young lady sticking her finger up, <laughs> um, and that, and that's, but that's, but I know those statistics. I don't need to put what each one is because I'm going to articulate those statistics. That you know, in a hundred and forty-two countries around the world, ninety million employees, seventy percent of the workforce are disengaged in the work that they're doing. Which is why I have a picture of a young girl with her finger sticking up, and one hundred and forty-two, seventy, and ninety. Right. So when I share that and that picture's behind me, it makes total sense to people. I don't need to put 142 countries around the world that, you know, 70 percent of the workforce, 90 million employees are disengaged in the work that they're doing. No, 142, 70, 90 and a picture of a young girl sticking her finger up. So, you know, those are some tips or techniques or things that, you know, that I do or that I've also learned over the years um, in, in terms of my presentation. Um, you know, there's uh, I, I'm, I'm a professional who speaks, not a professional speaker. Thank you so much for checking out today's episode of the Get Heard Podcast. If you like what you've heard and you want to learn more, please go online at getheardpodcast.com. Please feel free to follow me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. And if you really, really like this podcast, please, I would be so humbled and indebted to you if you could share it with a friend. I just crossed 500 total listens not too long ago. And my next goal by the end of the summer is to reach 2,000 total listens. So thank you for your support. And until next time.